You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. What is the cost effectiveness of high dose statin therapy in high risk patients with coronary artery disease? Recent clinical trials found that high dose statin therapy, compared with conventional dose statin therapy, reduces the risk of cardiovascular events in patients with acute coronary syndromes and stable coronary artery disease. However, the actual benefit and cost effectiveness of high dose statin therapy is still unknown. What can we deduct from this analysis, and will it affect when we prescribe high-dose statins to our patients? Welcome to Lipid Talk. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. Joining me today to discuss the recent findings and their implications is Dr. Sandeep Vijan, one of the lead authors of The Incremental Benefit and Cost-Effectiveness of High-Dose Statin Therapy in High-Risk Patients with Coronary Artery Disease. Welcome to the show, Dr. Vijan. Thank you. Doctor, can you first explain why you felt the need or the urge to study this particular topic, the cost-effectiveness of high-dose statins? A couple of reasons, but the primary one is that we really need to understand what we get when we spend money on more intensive interventions. So as we develop more and more aggressive therapies, we really need to understand how those therapies translate into both benefits for patients, but also the costs, especially in light of the current concerns about healthcare spending. What message were you able to actually take away from the primary trials that you did? From the primary trials that were in the analysis, the messages were fairly mixed. In the acute coronary syndrome trials, the evidence was fairly clear that high-dose statin therapy was beneficial, although there were no clear differences in some of the outcomes. For example, uh, none of the individual trials could show that there was clear reductions in death. Neither of the trials found reductions in myocardial infarction. But when you added everything up together, it looked like there was definitely a benefit of statins overall across all the endpoints. In the stable coronary disease population, it was a little bit even more confusing because not only was there no advantage in mortality, there wasn't even a trend towards advantages in mortality. So there was a couple of trials that we have looked at this issue in the people with stable coronary disease, and in neither trial was death even slightly affected. You know, the relative risk of death in both those trials was right around one. That, of course, raises concerns because you don't know if you're doing anything for the long-term benefits of these patients. So we really wanted to start to look in more detail at some of the other outcomes that are affected, not just death, but how heart attacks, strokes, risks of revascularization, and so on might tie into the overall effectiveness and cost-effectiveness of high-dose statin therapy. Do I understand you correctly that you said high-dose statin therapies really do not make a difference in people with stable coronary artery disease? In terms of more overall mortality, yeah. I can get into a little bit of detail. There are two primary trials where people have really looked at uh, high-dose statin therapy in people with stable coronary disease disease. One is the treatment to new target trials, or TNT, and the other is the IDEAL trial. For example, in the TNT trial, overall mortality, the relative risk on high-dose statin therapies was 1.01. So basically, people died at almost exactly the same rate, whether they were on high-dose statins or on standard-dose statins. So, you know, that certainly raises some concerns because, you know, we're concerned about not only preventing certain heart attack events, but we want people to live longer. And if they don't live longer in the primary trial, you have to scratch your head a little bit and wonder, well, what could have happened? Because they seem to have less heart attacks, but they didn't live longer. And so you wonder what the effect really of preventing a heart attack is if it doesn't make people live longer. So the other thing it can do is it can make people live better. And our models, where we look at these events, start to try and tease those effects out. Can you tease out some of the monetary things that you discovered? What kind of money are we talking about? What is, what is really the difference in total costs between 
high-dose therapy, normal-dose therapy? In both the acute coronary syndrome patients and the stable coronary disease patients, it's around $3,500 to $4,500 in additional cost over a lifetime, which actually doesn't sound like a lot of money until you add it up across all the people who would need high-dose statin therapy. So certainly when you consider how many people have stable coronary disease in this, in this country, uh, $3,500 per person is a lot of money. But relative to a lot of things we spend money on, it doesn't seem like a lot. You have to remember that that projection includes not only the cost of the statins, but it includes an offset or a lowering in cost because of lower rates of hospitalization and lower rates of revascularization. So we're projecting not only you know costs of spending more money on drugs, but cost savings because we at least hopefully can avoid some of the outcomes such as hospitalization, and we can also have fewer bypasses and fewer angioplasties and stenting. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Lipid Talk on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill, and I'm talking with Dr. Sandeep Vijan of the University of Michigan. Dr. Vijan's interests lie in understanding economic factors associated with diseases and the cost-effectiveness of interventions to improve outcomes. So, Dr. Vigen, $3,500 for extending a life. How many months are you getting for that $3,500? Well, it depends on which population you look at. Acute coronary syndromes. Right. In the acute coronary syndrome population, um, people gain about four months of living longer in what we term good or normal health. And that doesn't sound like a lot sometimes. People don't necessarily have a good perspective on this. but About $30 a day. Yeah. It's actually pretty good. And... You know, that's something that if you compare the cost to what we get, most people would say that's a really good value. In contrast, people with stable coronary disease get about a month of living longer in good health, which also isn't bad. We certainly want people to live longer in better health, but certainly it doesn't compare well to the patients with acute coronary syndrome. It's only about a quarter as effective. Who gets to make the decision of allocating money? I mean, it sounds like you're, not you, but someone's going to be playing God deciding who shall live, who shall die. Yeah, that's certainly one of the concerns we have. At this point, at least in the U.S., there's no formal person who makes that decision. What happens typically in America is that we just adopt therapies that are effective, and unfortunately, sometimes we adopt therapies that are not effective. But in my view, I think that both of these populations, the therapy is effective. It does have some benefit. But there's no central organization or specific person who decides on drug coverage in this country. That's a direct contrast to many other countries which have you know, national health care systems where these decisions are actually laid out explicitly. So in Canada or the U.K. or many other countries, they actually have a group that sits down, reviews how much these things cost, reviews what the benefits are, and says, we are willing to cover this or we are not. Of course, one of the issues that comes up then is at some point we have to figure out a way to start to contain the spending growth in healthcare, And so people are starting to say, well, maybe we need to do things along that, those lines in this country as well, because our rate of spending growth is outpacing those of other countries. But it's a difficult question. Are you famous outside of this country? I mean, does the rest of the world beat down your doors trying to get this data since we're not so interested in it? Sometimes, but it depends. We typically are more interested in how it looks in the U.S. because we want to inform people's decisions about these processes or start to at least get people to think about these things because we know that at some point people are going to start to make decisions about who gets what. I mean, it's made on some levels already. Some insurance companies say, well, we don't cover that type of service. But by and large, most services are covered by most insurance companies. And so what happens instead is is now we're seeing a shifting from 
insurances to patients. So now patients are bearing greater portions of these costs. Insurance companies are going to say, well, if you're going to go on a high-dose statin or you're going to go on a brand-name statin, then you're going to have a higher copay. So certainly there's all kinds of factors that affect what goes into this kind of decision. And one of the things we're concerned about is that we want to show what things are really cost-effective and make sure that patients don't bear the brunt of those things. In other words, if things are really cost-effective, such as statin therapy in the high dose or intensive statin therapy in the, in the high-risk patients, such as acute coronary syndrome patients, we really feel like our analysis really suggests that those patients should not have high copays. Really, they should be, not bear a lot of those costs because these are enormously beneficial therapies. Now, you could contrast that and say, well, maybe for patients who get less benefit or who the treatment's less cost-effective and maybe the cost-sharing or higher copays in that group might be a little bit more reasonable option. But these are all kind of big policy questions that, you know, we are trying to inform by doing these kind of analyses. And as a result of your analyses, have you seen any guidelines change or any impact whatsoever? And, and if so, how do you feel when you see that happen? We have, not certainly in this yet, since this is a very new analysis, but in other areas such as diabetes and, and some other areas where we do a lot of work, we definitely have seen a lot of those things changed. Um, and we're actually starting to see studies to look at how, for example, waiving co-pays in high-risk patients affects their adherence, healthcare utilization, and outcomes. And we're quite encouraged by some of the early results. I mean, we can show that, at least preliminarily, it looks like if you waive some of these co-pays for therapies that are cost-effective, that patients are more likely to take the drugs. And certainly that's one of the goals. You know, when you have an effective drug, you want patients to take it, and you don't want to have policies in place that stop patients from taking drugs. Uh, where do you stand on a one-payer system? Do you think that would be of benefit? if they were willing to pay for high-dose stents. To be honest, I'm a little agnostic on it. I, I am not quite sure that a single-payer system is ever going to fly in this country for the simple reason that people like to have choice and some freedom of choice. And I, I think that that's a very reasonable assumption or reasonable goal. And I think that people feel like having a one-payer system is going to take away some of that choice. So, you know, I think that if it was structured correctly, it might work in this country, but I think it would take a lot of careful work and I think that the political backlash and ramifications in the longer term are going to be difficult to deal with. Let's say you were treating a patient and your patient just had a heart attack and is in the hospital with unstable angina, getting a stent placed, and doctor wants to put them on 40 of Pravacol because that's in formulary. What do you do? If I was given a choice, I would actually quite clearly say that they should be on a high-dose statin. 40 of Pravacol is all that's on formulary. Well, that's a fairly limited formulary, especially in the U.S., and that would surprise me a little bit. But I would say that that is not optimal therapy, quite frankly. And I would inform that to, uh, the patient that as well. And I would actually, if there was no alternative, either because of insurance coverage or limited formularies, I would actually start to look for other alternatives, whether it's talking about samples for the patient or looking at some of the programs that are out there to help patients afford drugs, or if that patient can happen to afford it, talking about having them pay out of pocket for the drug, because I think that the drugs are that beneficial in that population. Let's say different patient, different floor of the hospital, is in the hospital for diabetes and just happens to have stable coronary artery disease and is on Pravacol 40. LDL is at 110. Are you going to get excited? Less so. I would certainly say that in those situations, the cost of the drug become very important. And some of the analyses we did show that. So the greater the difference in cost between the high dose and the low dose drug, the less cost effective the drug looks. I'll admit that there are certain uncertainties in this population, such as, you know, what is really the long-term effect of statins? I mean, how long does a statin have to be effective to be worthwhile? And we don't really know fully the answer to that question. So, 
you know, statins are only effective for a five-year time window, and then after that, the effects start to taper off, then it doesn't look so good. If it's effective over a full lifespan, then they look really pretty good. So I'd say I'm less excited about it simply because we're not as certain about the important factors um, or some of the important questions involved. Dr. Vigen, any any last thoughts on high-dose versus regular-dose statins that you'd like to share? My gut feeling is, is that in general, high-dose statins are probably warranted in all patients with acute coronary syndrome, or I should say are certainly warranted in all patients with acute coronary syndrome. I just am a little less certain about that in patients with stable coronary disease, but odds are that it probably is worth it for those patients as well. Dr. Vigen, thanks for coming on the show. Of course. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell, and you've been listening to Lipid Talk on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send emails to xm at reachmd.com. And thanks for listening.